Ho, ho, ho. It's a Christmas special you've all been waiting for, for the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. And this is it, the week ending, well, Christmas Day or even December the 29th, I suppose. Um, vetgurus.com, our contact details. And if you want to send an email, vetgurus at gmail.com. Well, this is the big one, Mark. This is episode 10 already episode 10 so perfect timing for our christmas special so i think our aim for this particular special was let me turn off that music it's starting to really annoy me there um is um lots of reviews so um i think we've each got five to six items um and they may not necessarily be veterinary based items um something that you might want to deal with or drink or watch or read over over Christmas. Um, some of them are vet items, um, and only two news items I think this week, Mark. So, um, what's news item number one? I think that one's yours. And guess what? It's a Christmas special. And I've lost to Mark. Yes, um, here I, I am. Already. Oh, there you are. There you are. You're so, back. I did say to you before. I think you. Well, I think too much Christmas cheer for you, Mark. Um, slow down with those that drink in there. Um, one of my tips um, is a particular brew, which I have in front of me here, but I'm jumping ahead of myself there. So, yeah, go ahead, Mark. What is news story number one for Christmas 2017? Well, my, my news story for uh, the, this Christmas special, and I want to send out a big Merry Christmas to all our listeners. It's uh, um, a... Uh, um, just a really special time of the year. Um, but um, one of the stories that grabbed my eye um, was uh, um, the uh, one of the um, paleontologists have named one of the extinct forms of the horseshoe crab um, for one of the Star Wars characters. Um, when uh, this fossil is, uh, when you look at this fossil, it has a distinct appearance reminding you of, uh, of you know, the Sith Lord Darth Vader. Um, obviously a very um, uh, contemporaneous, a popular topic at the moment. Um, and, uh, and so the scientific name of Vader Limulus trichii has uh, been um, apportioned to the, uh, um, the horseshoe crab. Um, so uh, it just goes to show that, um, um, that those, uh, those appearances um, that uh, might only be, you know, um, might be thought of as new and uh, freshly imagined. They, um, they've probably popped up several times through evolution um, for various reasons. The, the, uh, they thought that this one was because it uh, needed to have slightly different shaped gills to get into fresh water, change the shape of the shield at the front, and all of a sudden it looks like Darth Vader. Brendan? Those, um, it reminds me, I'm just looking at that, um, the picture there, and it certainly does look like Darth Vader's helmet there. Um, it, it reminds me of that, um, our last podcast and the snow leopards and the link that we have in our show notes to the um, Australian photographer um, with those um, Where's Wally type um, pictures of, of finding those snow leopards there, yes. Um, sorry to jump in there, Matt, but it is Christmas. so It's, um, it's all um, good. It's all good. I want to jump in there. Um, um, and I think it is quite topical because I, I actually went to see the um, that latest uh, the latest Star Wars film 
when was it? What day is it? Um, it's um, Christmas. Well, it's Christmas Eve when we're publishing this, but it was yesterday that I saw it, The Last Jedi, um, and I had a bit of a date um, a date afternoon with my wife, um, and we sat in the cinema for two and a half hours to watch The Last Jedi. I was actually quite disappointed with it. Um, yeah, I, I know it has had fairly good reviews, and I do like my science fiction movies, Um but I was quite disappointed with it. I found it quite um, shallow and, and the jokes were fairly corny in there. So, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Um, and to give it a mark um, uh, based on Mark's marking system, um, a mark out of 10, let me think, I would give it, um, and this is probably being generous, I'm quite a hard marker for some of these things, I would give it a mark of 5.9 out of 10. Five point nine. Oh, that um, is really harsh, Brendan. That's so that's harsh. been generous. That's been generous. Look, I, I think if you want to watch a really good science fiction film that's um, been brought out this year, by far the one I'd recommend is um, um, a totally different film and a more adult film and a more sort of plot driven film and, and much better acting. I think too is Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, Blade Runner two thousand and forty nine. That was a fantastic film. Um, so yeah, and it isn't one of my reviews, um, but I suppose we can tack that in on the end or at the start here as well but that's um one of the films i'd recommend and i think that is now out of cinemas um and you can probably get it on blu-ray or dvd etc um now so that's the one i go for but uh, a lot of people are Star Wars fans, aren't they? Um, um, Star Wars taking over the world. And I think they're planning of releasing a Star Wars film ev- every year for the next 40 years now that it's been um, taken over by Disney um, Corporation. So I think they'll milk it for as much as they can well, you, yeah, you, with you, all the different... You'll be able to give a poor review each Christmas now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or potentially even twice a year. I think the next one that's due out is... Um, um, uh, movie based on Han Solo, Han Solo. Um, it's just a bit about his life. Yeah, it's the next one. So there you go. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, news story number one that I just hijacked from, from you there, Mark, <laughs> the extinct horseshoe crab. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if if our listeners go to that um, website and look at um, the picture there, they'll see that um, it does look indeed like Darth Vader. Yeah. So news item number two is governments unite to conserve the world's heaviest flying animal. And, Mark, I can hear a bit of feedback. It must be too much Christmas cheer again. I can hear myself in your um, um, feed. Um, I can hear myself feeding back from your computer, I think. So I don't know whether you can do anything to adjust that because I hate listening to myself. I don't know how pe- people listen to this podcast at all, <laughs> listening to my voice there. Um, so I'm just going to um, go on here. And I can still hear the feedback. <laughs> so I don't know whether you can adjust that. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> maybe it's me maybe it's me oh i think you've done it um it's it's settled down now um That's so better here's the news article and you'll like you'll like this um Asian range countries of the world's heaviest flying bird, the Great Bustard, will coordinate the conservation of highly threatened populations of the species after a unanimous show of support at the Conference of Parties to the Convention on Migratory Species. So we're talking about bustards here, Mark. Have you seen a bustard in the wild? Have you taken photos of a bustard? I have taken photos of bustards. Um, not this particular bustard, but bustards are great to take photos of. 
And so, so you're like they, a busted, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I am a fan. I am a fan of the busted. Well, yeah. Let me let me um, tell you about this story. So, um, for those of you who don't know, busteds busteds weigh up to twenty kilograms or forty six pounds, um, which is the great busted we're talking about here. It's the heaviest animal capable of flight. And reading from this article, which was from National Geographic, um, this iconic species is at risk of disappearing from the historic heart of its range, which is the Central Eurasian Steppe. While global populations of great bustards are considered vulnerable to extinction, um, populations in Asia at, uh, at, uh, are at a much higher risk. Um, moving forward on the article, the proposal for a concerted action for the Asian great bustard was developed and promoted by the Eurasian Bustard Alliance and Wildlife Science and Conservation Centre of Mongolia after research revealed the highly migratory behaviour of the great bustard in Asia and international cooperation will be the key to conservation of these populations of great bustard, which, and here's, we get to the crux of the matter here, which experience threats including poaching, poisoning and collisions with power lines along their migratory journey. So the obvious um, comment there is what do you call a power line that's been hit by a, a bird? It's a busted power line, Mark. There you go. <laughs> You've been saving that one up. The whole article was t for that corny joke. There you go. But I will continue with the article because there's a couple of interesting things with it. Um, there was action for a vote at the gathering of signatories to the convention in Manila in late October, stating Mongolia is a stronghold for breeding populations of the endangered eastern subspecies of the great bustards. And the Islamic Republic of Iran also voiced support for the concerted action. Um, so they supported it. Um, and um, a bit of background in the article is that in earlier times, the great bustard commonly arrived from central, trying to read what I've written down here, central Asia to overwinter in northern Iran. However, only a single bird has survived to overwinter in the country in the past 10 years. So only one bustard has been in northeast Iran during the winter period. Um, and the other interesting thing I found about this um, um, conservation eth effort with the um, busted is, um, though China is not a party to the Convention on Migratory Species, it is an important range state for the great busted in Asia because it contains it contains population of both um, subspecies. Um, and they did make a comment, comment, the Chinese representative, that they will will plan to cooperate with the conservation of the rare bird in China, even though they're not they're not a signatory to the. Um, to the um, convention. Um, so, yeah, quite, quite interesting. Um, well, I think because one, we're talking about a busted, and I just love saying the word busted, um, and that it is the world's heaviest animal capable of flight. Um, well, unassisted flight, I suppose, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, weighing up to 20 kilograms or so. Um, um, there you go. Any comments on um, my busted story, Mark, for Christmas? Well, I, I, the only comment I have is that I know there's a lot of um, of uh, I, I feel ambivalent about busted um, conservation in general um, for two reasons. The first one is that we um, the, a large amount of the the um, resources that go to busted conservation are the result of um, uh, falconry in the Middle East that. Uh, um, 
other species of bustard, the Hubura bustard, um, in particular, provide um, a uh, um, a target species for the falconer and so they're conserved and a lot of that literature and information is then transferred to other species but um, I don't know I feel ambivalent about where the uh, the research dollar comes from in that particular case um, and the other thing of course is that um, the the um, birds are um, I think veterinary chemicals, um, particularly in northern India, play a big role in, um, you know, bioaccumulating and uh, causing problems for these birds and many other birds, for that matter, the vultures and um, and so, you know, our veterinary role um, in um, in uh, animal husbandry needs not only to take into account the direct animals that we see. Um, but the consequences of giving those animals particular medications and how that might affect wild populations. So um, I think it's um, very pertinent and uh, an important topic, not just because you like to say the word busted. And probably something that I think everybody um, digging into their um, Christmas turkey might want to think a little bit deeper about things as they're enjoying their Christmas turkey. Yeah, so I think that's the other reason why I wanted to throw that one in. Um, and I think that's all the news stories we had for this week because we wanted to get stuck into our Christmas reviews. I think I'll go ahead first, Mark, um, if you don't mind. I will, regardless of what you're about to say anyway. Um, and my <laughs> first review is... What is my first review? It is the patient warmer that I use in my clinic, which is called the Hot Dog Patient Warmer. And um, we'll have the link to this warming system or the website of the manufacturer. And the interesting thing I find with this is that it is um, it was actually developed um, for humans first. And this is basically a blanket warming system. And we use it extensively. We use it for basically any patient that we have anaesthetized. Um, and the beauty of it is it has a really fine control with the um, temperature range um, of, of the unit that controls the, the warming blankets. Um, and we can wrap those blankets around our patients. And it was originally developed by the person who developed the bear hugger systems that, that most of you would be familiar with that are used in um, veterinary clinics. Um, and that same person um, originally developed the bear huggers for the human market um, first. And, and the vet warming blanket system that he um, has, these hot, this hot dog system that this, um, I think, is an American, um, developed this system, um, he developed it first for the human market to replace the bear hugger system and he views it as a more efficient and, and, a, and, a, and a better method of um, keep, keeping human patients warm. So he then um, developed it to, to um, have the blankets for sizes for animals as well. So it comes in several different sizes, these warming blankets as um, um, from extra small I think to large and I think we just have the small one and the medium one and I've probably had it for you know, 10 years now, I was lucky enough to see one of the original um, prototypes or the or very first editions of it when I was over in the US a few years ago at a conference, um, the North American Veterinary Conference, and um, brought it home at that stage, and I've been using it ever since. So that's how our hot dog patient warming system um, that we use in our clinic, and I think it's a really good one to have. It is available worldwide. I think the distributor in Australia is DLC, 
um, the wholesaler, um, but there will be distributor um, distributors all over the world. Um, it's not a cheap system. Um, I think the blankets themselves cost anything from three hundred to. $1,000, I think, um, and the the life of each blankets, they do recommend, I think they say, is throw them out after two years' use. Um, having said that, I think I've had my current blankets for at least five years. Um, the control unit um, that has the temperature um, sensors, etc., or the um, um, circuitry, is the expensive bit, and that um, doesn't run out um it doesn't have a use by date and it's certainly running strong still um but that um i think the current australian price for it is about two and a half or three thousand dollars so it's not inexpensive but when you factor that over several years um use um and the fact it's a very efficient system i think it's fantastic so that is my review my first review mark it is a veterinary based review and um what um warming systems do you have in your clinic We've got uh, a uh, um, you know a generic version of the bear hugger and um, and we find it uh, it does an outstanding job. But you've mentioned the hot dog system to me before, and uh, and I reckon um, I reckon having looked at his um, his website, I reckon that it's quite likely that uh, that that's a little step up in um, ensuring our patients when anaesthetised are um, uh, um, you know they're they're thermoregulation is maintained so so definitely i um i commend to everyone um paying attention particularly to our small exotic patients uh their thermoregulation during anesthesia they tend to lose heat very quickly and um, these systems are excellent for making sure that that particular complication doesn't worsen the likelihood of a uh you know a serious anesthetic consequence um, I do, as you know, um, I do a little bit of work with the New South Wales board and uh, one of the common reasons for um, for complaint to the board um, is uh, thermal burns from uh, hot water bottles or um, uh, um, heated um, drip, you know, uh, fluid bags that have been whacked in the microwave, um, even heat, uh, wheat bags that um uh, poorly maintained can generate enough heat to give a burn, but both with the um, the bear hugger style things and uh, your hot dogs, they 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 seem to not have the same degree of problem. They all have to be monitored, but um, I reckon good review, Brendan. What's the score? Oh, a score, yeah. Well, that for those of you who don't want to look at our show notes, and we'll have links to all our reviews, um, that website is simply vetwarmin.com, um, and um, that's the site where you can see um, the actual um, manufacturer's comments about it and some of the research that they've done. And, yeah, I've had no issues with it. If it if it's um, going into a, an overheating mode, it will automatically turn itself off. So I've never had a patient that's um, accidentally um, been overheated with it. Um, score is, is well... I suppose we need to factor in the cost, but ignoring the cost, um, I, I think the cost, when you factor that in over the length of time that you use it and the fact that it's keeping those patients nice and toasty, um, will be a very sound 9.0 out of 10. Oh, that's impressive. That's impressive. And look, I would say <laughs> the um, the the price, I can tell you, we've, we've had um, occasional anaesthetic deaths and I would easily pay... Um, 
three or four thousand dollars to ensure that that didn't happen again. So I, I think it's a particularly as I say spread out over several years. It's a, a very small cost to pay for that added security during anaesthesia. Well, I think um, sticking with the um, temperature um, theme, I think your first review is is related to um, temperature as well, isn't it, Mark? It is indeed. We've, we've um, uh, um, my, my uh, good colleague, uh, Dr. Alexander Mastakov, um, is a big fan of um, of uh, uh, you know gadgets, um, and he. Uh, um, saw some notes in the medical literature about uh, some of the body surface temperature um, infrared thermometers that are becoming popular. Um, and so he splashed out and uh, got a RICOM infrared thermometer, um, and we've been using it in the hospital, and I thought it would be a, a good thing to um, give people a bit of an idea of um, how useful we've found it. So um, uh, the... Um, the, it's a little handheld portable um, uh, device. Um, feels very comfortable in the hand, um, and uh, and can be kept in the consult room and um, used when we have patients that come in. They're specifically designed for um, uh, babies, so people uh, can use them um, with infants, human infants. Um, and the idea is that you hold the thermometer um, three to five centimetres from the side of the forehead around the temporal region um, and there should be reasonable uh, correlation between the body surface temperature at that location and the core temperature. Unfortunately, um, the, I can't say that my experience using it with animals has been that um, encouraging. It's always good to have an infrared thermometer, and um, and there's no doubt that um, that as far as the um, surface temperature of the body goes, um, it gives a fairly accurate reading. It's just that um, you know the areas that we would apply it to a uh, you know a dog or a cat or a small mammal, um, those areas, uh, even reptiles, those areas tend to not necessarily be um, representative of the core temperature and may vary more dramatically. So I've tried to um, uh, do a, a short series of tests where we um, get a rectal temperature and uh, and I've picked the inside of the the um, the the thigh, the medial aspect of the thigh, lightly haired area in dogs, and surprisingly, I did get um, a reasonable correlation between the the um, uh, for dogs that were vaccinating for the the um, temperatures turned out to be well, not surprising. Um, you know, the, they weren't dramatically different. Um, I was expecting there to be more variation. <laughs> Um, but as soon as I've applied it to, um, uh, we in particular today we had a, uh, uh, it's been about 40, we got to 46 degrees outside the Sugarloaf Animal Hospital today and we did have a heat stress dog that came in and once he was stable, I did my little experiment and uh, and we weren't, the uh, surface temperature obviously wasn't even close to the core temperature in that case. So So I think it's probably a useful device for, very specific circumstances in maybe healthy animals that uh, um, aren't uh, um, aren't trying to dissipate heat dramatically, but I probably wouldn't be using it too many times when I had a, 
um, a specific concern. So um, if I uh, had anything that was odd, if I wasn't doing a vaccination, I probably would be looking to use my um, rectal thermometer, which is a bit sad because it's always good to have a uh, uh, maybe a device that you could use that would prevent you um, having to um, take rectal temperatures in front of young children in the consult room. So I'm always on the lookout for a device that might do that for our uh, more exotic species. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to give the RICOM a little bit of a, uh, um, you know, a, a uh, um, Star Wars style mark out of ten, and um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we'll just make that a uh, five point nine um, uh, degrees of out of ten degrees for the RICOM <laughs> thermoscan. Very. Interesting. I've got a couple of comments regarding that one. Well, probably more than a couple of comments knowing, knowing um, what's happening with this um, beer um, that's slightly disappearing in front of me. Um, first one is that um, I don't know where I read it, but um, I was reading an article recently. It was a veterinary-based article that was talking about the use of, of um, infrared non-contact thermometers um, use in animals, um, in dogs and cats specifically, and it was marketed for, for dogs, I think, and their method of measuring the temperature um, that was recommended with the product was um, lifting the lip of the dog and pointing the infrared thermometer at the gum um, so that um, of the dog inside the mouth and that's the area that they recommended taking the temperature from. Um, I just thought it was quite interesting that that's where they recommended taking the temperature from. Whether that's more consistently um, consistent um, that than doing it from a, a different site in the animal, I don't know. Um, and and the second um, comment I'd, I'd make is that um, many years ago I did um, I was given a product to review, um, which was a veterinary um, ear thermometer, um, and I think it is still on the market. It's called it's called the Vet Temp, I think I think, and it's um, made for dogs and cats. Um, and I was using it to see if there's any correlation between um, um, or any use of of it with in the exotic species, the, the mammals. Um, and the, the basic answer there was no um, because of the different structures of the ear canals in all these species. So, for instance, we're trying to take a ear temperature from a ferret or we're trying to take it from a, from a rabbit with a really long um, um, ear canal, vertical ear canal, um, and it, was, it didn't work very well at all. Um, in dogs and cats, I still use it occasionally. Um, actually, it's been a while since I have actually used it. Um, in an apparently well animal that might come in for a vaccination, and the clients did love it. It was a great PR tool because the clients loved me using this ear temperature. And they say, hey, that's pretty similar to what I just did with my child in the in, with our GP when we went to the doctors. Um, well, isn't it good you don't have to shove the thermometer up the backside of my dog or my cat? Um, but I've gone back to using the rectal thermometer. And I do want to do a review of a particular rectal thermometer at one stage um, because I'm finding that I'm, I'm using a much more accurate rectal thermometer than our um, typical thermometers we use, um, which in our clinic we just use the normal human um, thermometers. Um, 
for our patients and um, the rectal thermometer that I'm currently evaluating um, is a much more accurate um, thermometer for measuring the core temperature of the animal. Um, so I'll talk about that in another review, um, maybe in a, in a podcast early in 2018 in the new year. Yeah, so no, interesting, Mark. I mean, yeah, I love the gadgets as well. I do have a a, a um, one of the infrared thermometers sitting in the consult room that I um, like to show to my reptile clients um, because I love promoting that for a method of, of measuring the hot spots in reptile enclosures um, and with I'm those little same, temperature guns. And I'm the same, I think, um, not just the hot spots, but even conveying the concept of, um, of a temperature gradient so they can take several uh, temperatures across several surfaces in the enclosure and formulate a bit of a, you know, picture in their mind about uh, how the temperature is dropping away um, so I, I think they definitely have a purpose um, for our reptile clients and uh, and um, and you know how I love thermoregulation so I will look forward to your um, uh, review of the uh, of the um, super accurate rectal thermometer yeah and those those um those um, infrared um, temperature guns are so cheap these days. I remember when they were first coming on the market, the cost of them was, I think, 1500 Australian dollars when they first came out. And you can now buy them, ones that are reasonably accurate for you, certainly for use in a um, reptile enclosure to do those spot readings on eBay um, for about 20 or $30. So, yeah, I recommend them to all my clients. And they're good fun. To little, you know, um, that has that little red dot. Um, so um, the clients end up spending lots of time going around the whole house taking temperatures off everything. Um, so review number three for our Christmas special. Well, uh, it's back to me, isn't it? Um, I am going to review a film. So this is something that you need to watch, Mark. <laughs> and um, I don't think you've heard of it. I did mention it um in our pre-podcast um, talk last week or the week before, and that is a film, it's a documentary about a street photographer um, and it is not in the cinemas. It was at one stage probably about um, about um, three or four years ago, but um, I think you can buy buy the CD online, uh, the DVD online, or I think you can actually view the the um, documentary on on YouTube um, or, or or all the streaming services, and the documentary is called Finding Vivian Meyer. Um, so, what is this about? It's about um, well, it's about a street photographer called Vivian Meyer. Um, funnily enough, and she was it's a tragedy this story it's 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 it, it's got everything this film i think it's a great true mystery documentary is probably what i call it. it so it's about this street photographer vivian meyer who um took some amazing photographs and she used film photography this was in i think around about the 1920s or so that she started taking photographs um and she used a um a um a, a medium format film camera similar to what i use um when i'm doing my f um, film photography. So that's one of the other reasons why I love this film. But her actual photographs are amazing. Um, and it is the story of um, the person who discovered her photos. Um, so she was not known as a photographer in her life. Um, she was actually a nanny and um, she took 
thousands and thousands of, of photos and, and met much of the film that she took was undeveloped um, after she died. Um, and the documentary, and I'm not giving away a, a huge amount, we know she's dead, um, but um, um, the man who found um, her, her um, photographs and her undeveloped film um, started, um, he was a, a filmmaker and he, and, and he um, ended up making this documentary film about her. It's a bit of a tragedy too and it's a very poignant film. Um, so it's a very sad film. It's about the, the human condition and about, um, um, I think about, um, yeah, it, it, it's about photography, it's about life, it's about death, it's about, um, um, it's about, um, mental health as well and i just i just think it's a fantastic film it's a little bit slow at the start um but it's one of the best films i've seen for a very long time and we'll put the links in the um show notes um for the actual official website which is just vivianmeyer.com um and that um is just spelt v i v i a n m a i e r Dot com so vivianmaya.com and um, the actual photographs she took were, were fantastic and the sad thing is she was never recognized as a photographer in her life because um, um, she just did it as a hobby um, and she was a very secretive person and um, during the documentaries they, re, um, they talked to um, people who had her as their as, as their nanny um, um, during the time she um, was alive and um, they talk about the stories how they dragged the, them out as, as kids um, onto the streets and, and she was this crazy woman who would take photos all the time um, when they were minding them as kids um, but the actual um, photographs are, I think are absolutely stunning um, so so that's my um, film um, pick for, for the Christmas period or the, the holiday period, finding Vivian Meyer. And my mark out of 10 or my, my, my score out of 10 mark, and you know how how um, how um, tough I am marking, is a very solid 8.7 out of 10. Well, I'm, that is just amazing, Brendan, because um, that particular movie, I think – um, was shown on SBS about two years ago and I was channel surfing and um, flicking around at the time and I came across just after it had begun um, and I must have missed some of the slower stuff at the beginning because that movie just sucked me in and the and I can understand why you would give it such a high mark. I, I um, was fascinated by her photos but even more fascinated by her... Um, by by the person that she was, and um, and uh, and her motivation, and um, the way that she was perceived. One of the things that fascinated me about that movie was um, the way that the um, documentary maker was able to locate the children that had grown up with her, uh, that um, she had been a nanny to, and their reflections on the sort of person that she was. It was um, it was uh, um, yeah exciting and um, entrancing filmmaking. I, I understand why you were wrapped in it. Yeah, and I think it's it, it's it's a film for the for people who just like love love films generally and and, and like a good story and, and um, a bit of a mystery and a bit of a tragedy and it's not just about photography um, and 
you know, and listeners know how we, we both love photography, but it, it's, I just find it a, a, a very, very good film. And the more, more I, now I'm thinking about it, you know, my, my score of 8.7 is probably a little bit low. You are harsh. You are probably, really harsh. I think I'm, 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 I'm changing that right this minute and it is going up to 1.2 out of 10. There we go. Um, so I've changed it to 9.2. So our next review for our Christmas special, and I think my drink's almost gone, Mark, so let's um, keep going. Um, uh, otherwise I'll, I might have to grab another drink while um, while you have a bit of a chat in a minute. Um, the next um, review is of a veterinary drug by you, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, and while I was sort of scouting around trying to think of um, the sorts of things that um, – well, that I find interesting and that I thought uh, um, maybe would be interesting to people who listen to us. Um, I, I tried to look at the things that we would use commonly, like every single day in the hospital, that we might not, um, that might not always be there in uh, every single hospital. And maybe um, we get to see um, like a slightly different. Um, perspective on them. And so the thing I thought I would talk about is the um, Desloran implants that are um, uh, distributed in Australia, at least by um, the Pfizer people. Um, and um, we use them literally um, every single day. Um, and so they're one of the most common things. We had a, a talk about it in one of our recent podcasts is reproductive disease in in our uh, companion parrot species in particular, uh, but also in poultry. Um, and in these species, one of the, the, um, the treatments of choice once we have the animals stabilised in order to buy ourselves an extended period of time to, uh, to allow the bird to return to normal and also, I, I don't mean this in a cynical way, but um, but also to give people a chance to come to terms with what might be the next step um, is to uh, place an implant. So we'll often, I don't know, we'll often generate an invoice that's um, between six hundred and a thousand dollars to um, stabilise one of these birds, um, and then. Often we're talking about, a, um, once we've got them stable, we'll be talking about a laparotomy to, um, to further diagnose and, and uh, possibly um, ultimately treat the, the pathology. Um, and so it's often a good thing to have a bit of time for people to, to save the money, to budget the money, to come to terms with the risks associated with surgery. Um, so uh, placing a Desloran implant is a really common thing for us to do. Um, there are, we have um, some technical issues with them, some logistic, I suppose is a better word to describe it. They, we'll often find um, that uh, supply is compromised and because we use them every day, um, if we have to have them put on back order for um, any period of time, um, then then that really puts a um, serious dint in our public relations. And um, and so uh, that's probably one of the really negative things that we find that, um, that because I suppose we're a relatively small market and there would be times where um, the stock in Australia gets run down, um, we do have times where they're on back order and, and we have to be very careful about scheduling the animals that we need to place the implants. Um, they're um, 
they're excellent uh, um, um, appliances to use. The prepackaged syringe and the needle that comes with them um, work very well for us to uh, to place the implants. We usually place them over the pectoral muscles. Um, we make us uh, no incision. We just use the tip of the needle to provide a small incision to slide the needle in, um, and then we use a. Uh, uh, um, the plunger, try to draw the needle out as we press the plunger to place the, the uh, waxy, um, biologically active plastic containing the, the hormone into the bird, usually, and, um, and it works really, really well. A touch of tissue cement, we usually have no specific bleeding, um, and, uh, and the bird recovers relatively quickly. Some species we give a, um, particularly birds like um, macaws, we'll give a dose of meloxicam after we've placed them, um, but uh, we very, very rarely see any issue once the implants are placed. And they, um, we, when I first started doing this, I thought there would be um, uh, a... Uh, a real hassle with the uh, implants being pecked by the birds because often we're putting them into birds that have feather damaging behaviour. Um, but that's we haven't had a single case yet where a bird has, um, um, uh, you know, used their beak to attack the area where we've placed an implant. So that's a really good thing. Um, don't forget that we also use these implants um, in ferrets, and it is registered for use in the USA as a, as a um, control method for um, adrenal gland disease in ferrets, um, which I find quite interesting considering it was it is a, an Australian-developed um, product and yet it is not registered for use um, in ferrets here in Australia. So um, I find that quite amusing. But we, I certainly um, use it a fair bit in um, ferrets for that particular um, condition and it works very well. So it has um, so this is Des Lauren, yeah. So I presume you you are um, implanting a fair few ferrets um, as well, Mark. We do, yep, definitely. We um the the uh, um the number of I, I did a quick um calculation about uh, the proportion that go into birds and that go into um uh, ferrets, and we're probably doing. Um, we would probably be doing a bird pretty much every day, um, and we're probably doing a ferret, I don't know, once a week or once a fortnight. Um, so there is a large number of those animals that we're getting implants into. And I was thinking of BJ. BJ is a budgerigar, a female budgerigar that uh, I first saw for her owner, John, about, um, I don't know, six years ago. Um, she We um, uh, scoped her and radiographed her, and she had a, um, a uh, reproductive tract tumour. We gave him a relatively um, dismal prognosis, and uh, but he was keen for us to put an implant into the bird. Um, and I was just talking to him today in preparation for the sixth implant to go into uh, BJ, who um, who still has a palpable mass in the abdomen, um, but um, but has had six uh, quality years of life uh, with John's very, very devoted care, um, getting an implant in about this time each year. Um, and I can't uh, give a better vote to a product than um, to something that allows us to provide that sort of care to a, to a patient. Um, Good. What are the, 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 uh, the negatives? Probably the, the um, besides the supply, the only other negative I'd draw people's attention to is the, um, uh, the, the 
period of time before the variability um, in the onset of um, uh, um, you know the the period that it stops working. Um, this seems to be really difficult to predict, and um, even using the uh, larger implants, the um, I think they're nine point six um, milligram. Uh, those ones generally get us a year, but we'll still have um, some birds who become reproductively active in a much shorter period of time. So um, that's probably trying to predict how long they're going to last um, is a little bit of a, um, a negative for us. But we quite regularly get, uh, um, as with BJ, uh, uh, 12 months and, um, and uh, an annual examination and um, uh, preparation to put another implant in um, is uh, it happens with quite a lot of our patients. And I think the other advantage of these the, the Desloran implants is that um, we rarely see any side effects um, in, in um, the species we, we use them in. So, um, and I, and um, the, the, we use the smaller implants for the, for the ferrets, the 4.7 um, Milligram implants, yeah, good, good review, Mark. Um, well, how about you give it a score out of ten? How's that for an actual well, product? <laughs> well, I don't think it's quite as good as the uh, the. Um, it's it's obviously better than the um, Star Wars movie, but not quite as good as um, as the. Uh, um, uh, the photography movie. So I'm going to um, stick with about I reckon about an eight point one. 8.1, good. Okay, so the next review is a veterinary product from me and that is, and I'd be interested to know whether or not you have one of these or more of these in your clinic and that is the Buster Cruise ICU fold-out um, enclosure. And, we don't have um, a Buster in our hospital, so I'm really keen to listen to what you've got to say. Uh, well, how could you not have one? So um, these are a little, they fold down, it's a little fold-out unit and basically it's the equivalent of an ox oxygen tent. Um, so they pack away to a really compact little briefcase-sized um, um, container and um, they're quite uh, cheap to buy. They're in a, I think there's two, a, a small and a medium or a medium and a large. There's two variations of it. We have the small, smaller version of it and I think the cost of it is something like 300 to $800 depending on which, which one you get. And the beauty of it is it has little attachments you just attach it directly to your oxygen output on your anaesthetic machine or your or your piped oxygen if you have that in your clinic and it is color coded so you and it's a see-through little enclosure you just pop out the little frame inside it um, put the um, animal inside it we, we use it for the small mammals primarily um, Attach the um, colour-coded um, um, attachment relating to the oxygen concentration you want in that enclosure and you turn on your oxygen to two litres a minute and away you go. And the beauty of it is anybody can use it, including myself, um, and um, you just read off, oh, we use the green-coloured one means 70% oxygen, for instance. Um, I think I may be incorrect with which colour does what, um, and you just pick the particular um, colour-coded one for the percentage of oxygen you want and away you go. So it's fantastic and and, and um, it's a great little, um, you know, basically a, a variation on an oxygen tent and um, I think they're fantastic. So I think all exotic 
vets and clinics should have a Buster Cruise ICU enclosure in their clinic, and um, they're available well worldwide. I think um, um, I think they're a, a European product, um, the Cruise Company. We'll put the links in the show notes to um, the particular product there. Yeah, so Mark, you need to get out and get one. Um, or two or three um, for for the size of your clinic. I think um, the the um, the numbers you were talking about, Brendan. There, um, that's the key thing for me with these. That um, we'll often have a more substantial um, humidity crib style um, enclosure for our emergency animals, and then and almost invariably we'll have one or two more cases come in, and then we're juggling which one needs it most urgently. So having a couple of additional functional oxygen cages is uh, um, is certainly an attractive thing and i yeah and i think the beauty of it is it's so simple to use and and they do fold up to literally the old sort of briefcase um, sized um, um, product so it can just sit in the corner or in the kennel room etc um for for the enclosure so yeah and it comes with if with um those um little um attachments there with the different colors and i'm looking on the website now they have a green red yellow white blue and no holes in them so and the we just have the little instructions sheet that um that um um, we've laminated and any even a new um, nurse in the clinic can um, just pull that out and they know exactly what to do straight away because there's a little chart with it and looking on the little chart on the website here um um, you choose the green one, which provides um, 60% oxygen, and that's for ones with severe um, lung compromise. Or you might end up using the blue one, which is 24% oxygen, where um, they're just mildly um, affected, um, something that might be struggling to breathe a little bit, say, for something with a um, with a fractured rib, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I think the simplicity of it is is a really key um, thing with the Buster ICU enclosures. And you can see through it um, quite easy, it just perspex, you know, plastic um, see-through. Um, a, a word of warning is that um, we worry more about heat um, gain in this enclosure than heat loss. So be very wary about... Um, with, even with the hypothermic patients initially putting them in there, be careful if you put a heat pad in there as well or a heat disc of some sort in there that um, the temperature of the patient can rise quite um, quickly with them and we may have to do the reverse um, soon afterwards and, and put ice packs in there because the temperature tends to increase in the in, in that in the patient um, with that enclosed system with them. But, yeah, I think they're fantastic. So that's a... The Cruise Buster ICU enclosure. So that's my um, my third review, Mark. What have you got next, Mark, for our Christmas special? What have we got? And I've lost your sound again. I think you've probably wandered off for another drink, have you, Mark? Um, I think, oh, there you are. I can hear you. Yep. Well, my, my no, next um, – uh, yeah. um, how are we going there, Brendan? Can you hear me? Yeah, I've got you now. Yes. yes. Good go. work. Um, yeah, I've, 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 I think I've just about gone through – no. Yes, I can still hear can you. Can you hear me? Yes. We can still hear you, Mark, That's good. so keep talking. I don't know. What's going on with that sound, Brendan? Um, so 
my next review, um, I was once again looking for something around the hospital. That's good to hear. <laughs> um, the uh, I thought um, I would um, do a review of uh, Scott E. Cole's um, Captive Foraging uh DVD. The um, it's a, a wonderful thing. We bought a whole box of them, and I've recently discovered that um, uh, first of all we'd been giving them away. So I'm so glad that we bought a whole box of them. Um, and in addition, I've discovered that uh, the um, the video can be seen on YouTube. Um, so uh, so yeah, it was a great investment on our behalf to make sure that we had them. But I'm talking um, in jest because it really is, has been a great investment to get these um, DVDs in the hands of people who um, are interested in doing the very best for their birds has been a real um, a bit of a selling point for our practice over the last few years. So um, I uh, really... Um, one of the things I struggle with, I suppose, in consult is um, trying to get uh, bird people to um, not over-anthropomorphise, not to treat their birds too unreasonably like people um, and to realise some of the behaviours that are truly bird-like and normal um, and uh, and the captive foraging um, DVD runs, Scott runs through um, the behaviours of birds and, uh, and in particular does an excellent job of suggesting ways in captivity that those behaviours can be encouraged and funnelled in a productive and um, satisfying and um, positive way for the bird rather than them um, developing stereotypies or being bored or um, being overly reproductively active. Um, these things uh, can be largely, um, uh, at least in part, ameliorated by appropriate captive foraging and having a DVD which, first of all, leads clients in the direction, but then also gives them uh, lots of ideas about ways to uh, carry out this process for their birds um, definitely has been a, a real um, uh, benefit, a real uh, positive thing for consults with birds. Um, so it's a, um, it's a um, we'll have the link to the YouTube video in the, uh, the podcast uh, um uh, details and um, and I, I really, uh, in terms of having an additional resource to be able to give um, clients who are searching for something to encourage normal behaviour with their birds, I can't um, rate it highly enough. Probably not quite as high as um, as uh, uh, Brendan's film, but um, I'd certainly put it in the high eights. Um, Scott E. Cole's Captive Foraging, the next best thing to being free. Have you had a look at this uh, CD, uh, this DVD? No, Brendan? I haven't. Um, I was just looking online as you were speaking and I did find a link to um, Captive Foraging Basics in Pet Foraging Activities, presuming that that's um, some of it or, or all of it, and that is on the um, Harrison Bird Foods um, website. And they have a link, a video link to it. So I will be watching that um, sometime during this Christmas um, period um, if I can tear myself away from my next um, review. <laughs> Yeah, so no, that's great um, because we need to encourage the clients to. Um, um, I was, um, I did a little review on um, 
environmental enrichment for unusual pets at a, at a conference last year and um, I was amazed at um, some of the papers that were reporting the percentage of time that birds, wild birds use um, for foraging and I think it varied between 80 and 90% of their life is spent foraging for foods um, and I think it's amazing that um, you know, no wonder that when we um, talk to our clients that, that buy the classic pet budgerigar or, or canary or, 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 or or small parrot, um, and they just fill up the little um, food bowl um, for that little bird. And um, how much time does that bird spend foraging for food? One percent, if that, of its time. So no wonder we end up with these birds with psychological um, issues with them. So yeah, it's a very pertinent um, and very good um, review, Mark. Yeah. So um, well done. Um, I wish I had a thought of that one, and that's something I need to watch. I have seen some small. Um, what What do you recommend, Mark, for um, as far as um, um, what sort of products for um, bird owners for um, um, encouraging environmental enrichment and, and foraging sort of toys, etc. Is, is there a particular company products that you recommend, or do you just recommend clients make them up themselves? It's a bit of a 50-50 thing and um, we certainly, most of the clients that are motivated enough to um, to be interested in foraging and, and your little um, uh, um, description of the amount of time that the birds spend foraging is, it sort of sparks people's, you know, um, attention that uh, that they do in the wild spend 90% of their day wandering around looking for something to eat and burning lots of energy while they do that. And uh, so to be able to get that equal caloric intake in just 15 minutes or so and then be left with um, six or seven hours a day to find something to do, it's uh, not a surprise that we end up with birds that um, that have those problems. But um, we, we generally, um, using um, Scott's video, we can suggest a whole bunch of things that people can, you know, use at home, toilet rolls and uh, um, straws and um, uh, pine cones and things like that. But there are an increasing, as um, you were talking about with our small mammals, um, there's a, um, an increasing number of people who put a considerable effort into um, sourcing safe and uh, suitable materials to encourage foraging both in birds and small mammals and there's a number of websites um, that we regularly refer people to and I'll um, send those to you Brendan so you can stick them on the um, the podcast information and uh, yeah I think um, once we've uh, um, as we get to know these animals better and better, whether they be feathered or scaly or um, furry, we want them to express their natural behaviours as much as possible and uh, because that um, begets their mental health and um, and also their physical health in many instances too. So um, I, I think it's a, um, a particularly useful tool for avian practice to have um, the ability to refer people. And the Harrisons people um, did... Uh, um, were the ones who um, well, quite gladly took my money for the DVDs we bought. Um, so um, it's not a surprise that they're um, distributing the image, the the, the uh, movie, um, uh, for wider um, consumption now through YouTube and their website. Yes. No, so, it is. I, I, 
copied that um, link, and as I said, I'll be I'll be I'll be watching it via that um, Harrison's um, link sometime over the next few days. Um, so the next um, review is it's me again, isn't it? It is a book, Mark, um, and I know how you love your books, and this one's a bit. Um, a bit, um, a bit out there, um, but um, actually, no, it is. Well, it's a bit of a pun, actually. Um, so this is a novel by Andy Weir, and Andy Weir, some of you might um, know, is the author of um, a, a, a book which um, was released uh, probably a couple of years ago called The Martian. It was made into a movie with, I think, starring Matt Damon. Um, the movie was okay. Um, the book I, I really loved because it was just a really good, easy-to-read book. Um, the actual author, Andy Weir, is a software engineer, um, and he's a bit of a space nerd, um, so he's, he, he knows a lot about sort of space statistics and physics etc is really into so um it has a sort of interesting um um authentic feel to it the martian and and his second um novel and the martian got um had really good critical acclaim and i'd, I'd recommend um those of you into a good sort of easy um read um the martian it's about um a person who's stranded on Mars. Um, I'd, prefer, I'd I'd suggest reading the book rather than watching the film. Um, if you want to watch the film, do that after you read the book. I think the book's much better than the film. Um, and um, his second novel is called Artemis, A-R-T-E-M-I-S. And um, I'm not quite finished with Artemis. Um, I'm probably only a third of the way through, um, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it and um, looking on... Um, one of the sites that you can, um, the, the discount websites that you can buy it from, bookdepository.com, which is, I think, the link I will have. I think there's something like 14,000 reviews of it already. And um, it's the story of a woman called Jazz, um, who's a small-time smuggler on the moon. Um, so it's quite fun. I'm really enjoying it. And um, it's a, a good Christmas read to... Um, sit on the deck outside in summer here in Australia and um, have a little read of a chapter or two and then fall asleep um, and then wake up again and have another drink and fall asleep again. So uh, it's, um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, I'm not going to give it a score out of 10 because I haven't finished it yet, Mark, so don't um, tie me down on that yet. But um, I think it's going to be well above um, well above five, <laughs> probably you close to like eight. You think it'll yes, like it better, better than the theme later Star Wars? Better than Star Wars, Last Jedi, yes. Um, so yeah, that's my um, that's my um, review of a of a book. Um, so Artemis. Um, so yeah, have a look. Available at all good books bookstores, I presume. Um, so there you go. What is um? I think well, you had a bird CD. What's your next review, Mark? Actually, there's, it, it is a book, isn't it? It's, um, not, it is a not book. A novel. My, my, it's not a novel. It's a, um, a veterinary textbook, and um, and uh, and I must admit um, that I've I've found it um, a, a wonderful. Um, uh, I'm probably coming up with a few too many positive reviews. I was get, I was said when we were preparing this that we had to um, uh, look for things that were a bit bit troublesome, so that we weren't always being so positive. But um, I haven't done it this time. Um, the book I'm talking about is Avian Anatomy. It's a textbook and colour atlas. Um, it was uh, it's um, 
uh, written by, um, it was originally published in German by Konig, Korbel and Liebich, and it was translated to English by Karina Klupiec. Um, and the one, the, the thing that I um, really love about this textbook um, is first, there's several things. The first one is the pictures. Um, I must be one of those people that um, really, what do they call them? Visual people who understand things much better when I have uh, good diagrams or photographs or um, images. Um, they seem to help me get a much better grasp of um, of the function and uh, purpose of anatomy, and um, and certainly that's one of the strengths of this book. That um, the uh, the um, the pictures are outstanding. The diagrams are excellent. Um, there's a real focus on uh, um, the function of the anatomy, um, and uh, and so um, it's it just. Um, uh, provides an excellent adjunct to um, clinical analysis, being able to look at um, radiographs and correlate um, anatomical structures with the images we see. Um, to understand, um, uh, there's a great section on each of the actions of particular muscle groups um, and um, and just a lot of the... Um, the uh, the additional detail in the typical way of Germans who, are not that I'm, you know, trying to be um, too uh, judgmental, but they are a group of people who are known for their attention to detail. Um, and this book just uh, fits that um, stereotype down to a T. They take things to um, the nth degree and explain things um, where many of my other textbooks, my radiology um, textbooks for birds, um, just give me the raw information and um, often leave me going, well, I don't know, you know, what's the next level, what attaches to that, what um, what purposes that serve, what's going to happen if that's broken. Um, a lot of that uh, is information that's difficult to find, but this book provides a, um, an excellent resource that goes that extra step and uh, and gives those details. So um, I've found it since uh, uh, it's come into the hospital, I've found it an excellent addition, particularly to um, our radiological analysis of birds. So uh, so it's been um, an, an excellent addition to our little library and the um, diagnostic imaging suite. Um, so I think I'd be giving this one well, maybe not quite as much as the um, as uh, the parrots. Um, uh, um, the uh, what was the last one I gave, Brendan? What was the last score I gave? Uh, I can't remember, Mark. Oh, okay. How would I know? <laughs> um, it was the um, what was it? It was. I'm trying to look at all the reviews here. There's so many reviews here. Um, uh, well, we'll have to play back the podcast and, okay. and have a look we'll, at. We'll, we'll, yeah. I, I reckon this one's in the low eights. So I reckon an eight point three out of ten for avian anatomy. Eight point three. Gee, you, you're very. Um, you're very. Um, uh, a very um, good marker. I, I, I wish uh, um, you were examining me if I was sitting in an exam because I think you give me an eight point something out of ten, regardless of what I did for my exam. No, it's possible that's true, but maybe I'm just picking good things to review. I think I'll that's the case. Yeah, so let's 
That's I haven't got this particular textbook, so it's the Avian Anatomy textbook and Colour Atlas, and I presume it's the the looking online here, the second edition. That's Is that the one, one you yep. have. Yep. Yeah, it looks. Um, I like it. It looks good. I think the original um, classic atlas for. Um, for animals is Papesco, isn't it? And um, you know that the, the only time I get to see the Papesco, and I think it was in it's in two volumes, is when I when I drop into the university library because I have a copy of Papesco because it's out of print. I'd love a, I'd love I'd like a good anatomy book, and um, which reminds me, I have another. Um, I, I do have a anatomy and physiology textbook um, for exotics that I. We'll review in a future podcast. So remind me, Mark, maybe the first one next year in 2018, I might review that particular book um, as well. So how are we going? This is our Christmas review one, and hopefully everybody's still still awake or, or asleep. It might be good if they're asleep. You know, Sometimes it's good if you're listening to something that, that um, relaxes you and puts you to sleep. Um, certainly the next review that I have will potentially put you to sleep, especially if you drink too much of it. And my next review, Mark, is a beer. Um, and um, if you decide to finally catch up with me over this Christmas period, and I know for those listeners who do not know, um, Mark is spending a bit of time down here in Melbourne for um, several days and um, I'm um, making sure that he's going to catch up with us and, and with me and my family and hopefully um, we may even be able to record a podcast um, out in the field somewhere, Mark. I don't know where we'll go, but we might um, we might go and record something um, live um, and unedited or not that these are edited, um, out somewhere um close to home um and i have a couple of ideas now that i'm thinking of it but my review is the grand ridge brewery pure blonde beer and um oh it looks like it's empty i've just finished um the one i've just been taking this is a belgian styled wheat beers i really like wheat beers um they have that sort of nutty flavor i know some people don't really like them and this one certainly has a real nutty um, flavor to it and this is a a brewery in um, gippsland so eastern victoria um, east of melbourne from where um, east from where i live and um, it's um, one one lots of awards this particular brewery um, and this is the first time i've tried this particular beer but um, and i'm going through the um, the six pack quite quickly <laughs> um, not too quickly um, believe it or not it might sound like i've gone through five of them already but i haven't um, and um, yeah i really enjoy this beer I've, I've probably had four of the beers not all four tonight as we're recording this podcast um, but it is a really good beer and um, yeah don't you just love the blurb they put on the back of um, the promotion for these things um, you know it's it's a premium barley beer with a wheat with a hint of coriander and hints of luscious citrus um, through um, what is believed to be Australia's most delicious blonde head. So there we go. The natural blonde wheat beer from the Grand Ridge Brewery. But I'm, I'm really enjoying um, the um, this particular brew and I expect that if I ever end up near Merbu North, which is where this um, brewery brew, see, I don't know, maybe <laughs> I should slow down on the beers. Um, I've literally only had one of these beers. Um, 
I, I want to head out there and have a bit of a look at it because looking on their website, which I'll put a link in our show notes, um, they have a, uh, an interesting range of beers and they certainly have won a fair number of international awards. So, Mark, I will try and save a couple of these um, beers so there is no excuse for you not to drop in and see the family over the Christmas period and um, we can open up um, the last two of these particular beers and we can enjoy them um, and maybe record a, an extra special podcast for um, for the new year. How does I, that sound? I, I, I'm looking forward to it already. I have my doubts that the um, remaining two bottles will last that long, but I'm sure we can um, source some additional uh, supplies to um, to facilitate uh, um, an on-site podcast later um, uh, after we get um, just past Christmas. That'd be awesome. Good. I look forward to it. And, um, yeah, I'll be very disappointed if you don't travel all this way down and you don't drop in or we don't catch up somewhere. So you're on notice uh, to make sure that um, – Make sure that you drop in and um, say hello to everybody. And I'm looking forward to my Christmas present. So I hope you've got me something um, very special, Mark. Um, very special. So I think we're just about out of all our reviews here. Gee, we've got, I'm looking at the time here on our little recording. We've done um, one hour, 12 minutes already. I do have one more review. Do you have anything else? Um, I think I do. I don't think I've mentioned um, the, um, the, um, my book, my, my non veterinary book. Um, did we have I talked about the wild parrots of Telegraph Hill yet? No, you haven't. Yes, so tell me about. So I think that. this is my last review. Um, um, it's a um, it's a uh, it's a book um, published in two thousand and three, I believe. Um, I think by Mark Bittner. I struggled with it when I first picked it up. It was a um, I took a little bit of time to um, to get into it. Um, the story. Mark is a um, uh, was a um, you know a bit of a struggler, um, a struggling artist of um, who uh, be- began to develop some relationships with uh, um, the feral uh, conures um, who were small- forming flocks around Telegraph Hill in San Francisco, um, and and those um, relationships became uh, they developed to the point where. Um, uh, Mark could recognise the birds and gave them names. Um, uh, he would uh, supplementary feed them. They would come and visit him. Um, and um, and the book is the the story of his relationship with those birds and and how that relationship changed him over time. Um, and it did take a bit of time to get into. Um, it was a bit slow at the start, but um, but it's such a um, a uh, uh, a gentle and affectionate um, story that it drew me in at the end, um, and um, and in particular, I suppose, on reflecting over the story, um, the critical thing for me has been um, to see that that um, the importance of that um, relationship with wild things that um, you know whether it's uh, um, uh, our native animal trust fund, our, our wires. Um, wildlife rehabilitators or um, uh, the people who um, put food out for uh, birds to draw them into their garden um, the 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 power of that connection to individual wild animals and the fact that those wild animals choose to spend time in the the um, 
in the the vicinity of people um, and often you know smart animals like parrots will um, will uh, develop an actual relationship they'll recognize people and uh, um, and have different expectations of different people that they will come up to um, and for me that was the real power of the um, of the book the understanding of um, of uh, of mark bittner's eccentricity and um, and how the the uh, connection with the flock of wild flying parrots um, uh, was such a positive thing in his life. Um, it's fascinating to me too that it's a story of um, a feral flock of parrots. That all these uh, species of conure that um, that uh, live in Telegraph Hill are all Avery escapees, and there's been sufficient numbers of them that um, that there's now um, self-sustaining small populations. They breed in the wild there, so um, yeah, not not your typical natural history um, novel, um, but a, an excellent one just the same. Um, when I was um, uh, thinking about this review, I did look online and see that um, I haven't seen the documentary that was made, but um, it's also a, a very highly considered um, uh, film, so that might be something we talk about in the future. But I like your idea. Um, I've, I've, one of my rules for my children is that um, they must read um, any uh, movie that's based on a book. They must read the book first so they get their version of it before they're... Um, they, uh, they get to see a filmmaker's version of it. Um, so I like your idea of, um, of making sure we read um, our books before we see the movies. But um, I think uh, Telegraph Hill, I'll give it, um, just so I don't give it eight, I'm going to give it four out of five. And, uh, and uh, we'll, um, we'll, in the future, we'll um, give a report on the documentary um, that was made from the book. So... Um, so it was a, so it was an actual, um, true story, a, a documentary story, a true story book. Yeah. Um, and what was the actual name of the book then again? Oh, Mark? it's, um, the book's called The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Okay, good. All right. Good. So eight out of 10, um, <laughs> from you. See, another eight out of 10. Okay. Um, there we go. Okay. So I think we are left with, um, well, I've got one more, one more recommendation and it's just a nice little fun one. And that is the 2017 Comedy Wildlife Photo Awards. Have you seen this, Mark? I have seen a couple of the photos. I haven't perused the whole, uh, album yet. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, and just do a web search for that. Otherwise, I mean, we'll have the direct link um, in our um, in our um, show notes there. But um, I think they were great. The overall winner was a was a you'll be like um, glad to know, Mark, was a bird um, a series of pictures of birds um, or these three birds and one falling off the perch. They were quite funny. And um, I looked over the previous um, years. Um, um, photographs and yeah there's some um, fantastic um very funny photos for wildlife um aficionados and 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 veterinarians and vet nurses so i think all of us in the industry will appreciate um these particular photographs and i i think um 
it's the equivalent of street photography for wildlife, I think. These are ones that um, people were out and about and they were just lucky enough to be in the right um, position at the right time with the right um, conditions and lenses and, and cameras. And that, having said that, they are pretty amazing um, photographs. So, yeah, that's another one to have a bit of a laugh um, at the end of the year and we can all do it a laugh, can't we? Um and I'm crying at the moment because that beer um, is not fill, refilling itself, Mark, and um, it's a long way to the fridge um, and I can't get away from this um, microphone here without um, without um, leaving you in the, in, the, um, in the deep end. So um, I will have to wait. Having said that, looking at the time here, um, a bit of an insider um, knowledge here. It's 11.32pm here and here we are um, drinking a few beers at 11.30 at night um, in, in Australia. But that's what we have to do to provide the, um, provide the um, Christmas special. So we hope that um, everybody's enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, um, we've um, really enjoyed these first 10 episodes and, and we li- really have appreciated all the feedback that we have received um, um, personally from from people, not just from emails that we've received, but also from our, our clinic staff. So thanks to our clinics for supporting us um, with the podcast and also our, our veterinary colleagues who have, have contacted us and um, said that they're enjoying the podcast. And, and we're hoping that we'll continue this podcast for Hopefully, many more years, Mark. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, as I said at the very first podcast, I was looking forward to um, our special edition of podcast number one hundred. Well, we're a tenth of the way there already, aren't we? So um, let's hope that we'll get there um, with number number one hundred and more. So um, all the best to all our listeners for um, the Christmas, New Year, holiday period, and um, or the holiday period if you need to um, be. Um, um, politically correct, especially for those listeners in the USA. Yeah. I think you have to call it just the holiday period, don't you? Not allowed to say Christmas period, oh, but I'm, I'm we're going to call it Christmas period because that's what it is. It's a Christmas holiday that, um, regardless of whether you are a um, a Christian or or, or or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, it is still a Christmas holiday that we have in 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 Australia. That's for certain. So, but anyway, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to everybody. And um, we hope that everybody has a safe um, holiday period. And um, we look forward to talking to you all again. And um, we look forward to you for all falling asleep to our podcast again next year. Um, we might sneak one in before. Um, new year's eve um especially if we manage to catch up mark um and we can do that um one in the field that i've been promising that we do um do you have anything to say to our listener before we sign Um, off only just that it's been such a pleasure to um to start doing this and like you i think um i think this is something that i'd be keen to keep going keep seeing it develop and um and just uh wish everyone the safest and happiest uh period over christmas um spend it with friends and family and enjoy it and uh, as you said before fall asleep to podcast number 10 and we look forward to uh bringing you a whole bunch more in 2018 thanks mark and thanks to our listeners and a shout out to who was the um the country that we're going to shout out to um this week i think it was um the vets in germany i already did that didn't i i said i did say that at the start of our podcast if not yeah i did didn't I? um but 
considering it's a Christmas special, I'll give a shout out to our other listeners. Next on the list, which is our vets and technicians in Malaysia. We have a fair number of um, listeners in the Asia Asian area and um, the Malaysian um, listeners are number one, two, three, four, fifth on our list of um, countries. So well done to our Malaysian friends and Merry Christmas and um, Happy New Year to you all if we don't um, talk to you before then. But hopefully um, be on the lookout for another podcast just before um, New Year's Eve. And we'll, we'll talk to you then.